Bigger than Capes. Give me some outside. Yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to it, and then I watched it. Oh, 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 o
<laughs> yeah, I, I think I can definitely get into the idea of occasional bits of his work that are like standalone, not epic forever. And hell, I suppose there's always that risk that it's a swerve and at some point everything will tie together in some I mean, huge Hickman masterstroke. Has East of West ended yet? Impossible to say. Well, I just... I thought I read that it was coming to its end. I'm not quite up to date, but... No, neither am I. It's something that I, I always find I get up to date with and then ultimately get annoyed that... You can't just... Yeah, I, can't, I, I, I know I'm going to have to reread it. I think it's that kind of series where yeah. there's so much happening that ultimately he could refer to something from, yeah, 30 issues ago that I don't know about anymore. Yeah, it's incredibly dense. Um, I don't think it's finished, but I think it is meant to be wrapping up because I know he's launched a bunch of new stuff in the last couple yeah. of years. So, so I recently finished uh, Black Science, which mm. was something I started reading, I mean, probably close to 10 years ago. It's got to be the best part of, I would have said. Um, I thought that nailed the landing. Uh, I've still not finished it. I inevitably will. I it's all in my house. So you expecting a happy ending? Oh yeah, yeah. I think it'll be full of joy and yeah, Rick Remond as usual. Uh... <laughs> yeah, usual perky kind of upbeat <laughs> crescendo of an ending. Yeah, that's that's what I yeah, expect. Keep keep those expectations. I will. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I've um, I've gone the other way and. In, one of those rare moments read a book based on real things that have happened. Uh, so I read Mike Allred and Steve Horton's Bowie stardust ray guns and moon age daydreams. Baby Very nice. had to write that down. Cause it's such a damn long name. Um, <laughs> we're both Bowie fans. So I feel like we're the target audience for this. Yeah. I mean, it combines Bowie and comics and Mike Allred and them's things I like triple threat. Yeah, it's it's real pretty and um, only co- probably only covers like the first five to ten years of Bowie's career, but it's a damn good read. And yeah, he's an interesting dude, man. Every year of his career was was ace. Yeah, I I do hope we get like a continuation, so we get like a second volume with an equally long name that's like Bowie in the eighties, and then. Bowie in the awkward 90s. And... <laughs> Bowie tries cocaine and then Bowie tries ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm I, there for that, I think. that's. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know, but that is apparently who I am as a comic book reader now. I just want installments of Bowie's life in collected hardcovers. I used to, I don't think I have it anymore, but I used to have a DVD of some uh, like Bowie music videos, particularly throughout the 80s. And a lot of them are directed by David Mamet. Okay. They're, just, yeah. they're, they're incredible, like cheese. They're such a joy to watch. Have you ever seen the the video for like loving the alien? I don't think I have. No, I, I definitely should. Little China girl. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a racial abomination, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a weirdly compelling watch. I I think that's the thing. There's there's this occasional problem with like out-of-date music videos where you'll look... I mean, out-of-date films as well, where you'll look back and go, oh, oh no, this is... <laughs> this isn't okay. And This will refer to our later discussion, I think, as well. Yeah, I, th- I think I think this might come around again. Who knew? Um, <laughs> uh, 
But other than Bowie and then obviously falling into the black hole of, man, Bowie had some good, 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 good stuff. Good music, good films, good mostly. Yeah, oh, man. His, uh, his turn as Tesla in... Uh, uh, Prestige. The Prestige. Just superb. Shouldn't be, but um, probably some of my favourite Bowie casting, even though it's by no means one of my favourite films. I just think he fits. I mean, that's maybe where our taste diverge a little bit, because I love The Prestige. It's not a film that I dislike. It's just a film that every time I watch, it kind of... I don't know. Every time I think I've left it long enough that I'll have like forgotten about it and I'll appreciate it in a new light. It's never true. As soon as I put it on, it's like, oh, I remember exactly how all of this goes. Maybe that shows that I saw it too much when I was younger. So has it got Batman, Wolverine, Alfred? <laughs> Scarlett uh, Johansson in it? Yeah, pretty sure she Scarlet, is. Yeah. Scarlet Witch. Bowie, who is himself. Oh, she's I've not got... Scarlet Witch. He's Black Widow. Jeez uh, Louise. Black Widow. I've been watching too much... Uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision. Yeah, or try and blame Vision. it on something else. Yeah, rather than my own stupid ignorance. Don't get me wrong, much like a film we're going to discuss today, it has got a really good cast for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, I've also, speaking of Marvel, I've, I've finally been trying to read some of the Marvel that I've accumulated and, and not touched. I've, I've cut myself off on buying new Marvel books now. I'm Fair. I, I need to finish the like 30 I've got before I buy. Uh, so I read Meet the Skrulls, um, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, and Marvel Boy as well oh. in the last couple of weeks. So that's a real spectrum of Marvel. I am. Um, that it is. I recommend Meet the Skrulls the most. They're the type of books that always attract me a bit more to Marvel. Those like weird side books. Um, yeah, I know now that it's quite a big hit, but I think like um, uh, Fraction and Aya, David, David Aya, Aja, uh, Hawkeye was a bit like that. Like when it came out, it just felt like a very yeah. annexed bit of story. Mm. Um, and despite the fact that it then got like uh, very well appreciated after the fact, like yeah, I. It's, it's a good, good run, and I think the kind of wild out there on a limb parts of the Marvel Universe are the parts I'm there for. Yeah, yeah. I just I think that my taste runs contrary to so much of like the populace in terms of Marvel. It's really hard for me to find books because if you look at reviews and stuff, like I've tried a couple of times, but I'm, I'm really done with slot Spider-Man. Yeah, I... And this is supposed to be one of the most celebrated <laughs> Spider-Man runs, but I just... I always dipped in and out of it. So I I read some of the early stuff. I read Superior, a bit of Worldwide, a bit of all the Spider-Verse stuff. Um, Came back in for the conclusion because I figured that was going to be good. It was. Um, But yeah, I find it very hard to just read all of Slot Spidey. It's Mm -hmm. sure is long. Um, Enough Enough about that. Yes. Should we do some uh, news? You got some news? I've got a couple of items of news. Um, first on my list is Unique Studios, spelled Y-O-U-N-E-E-K. Uh, I've just signed a 10-book deal with Dark Horse. Okay. And 
I've mentioned Unique Studios, I think, a couple of times on the podcast. And yeah, you have. Did that write-up of uh, Malaika. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the website. And I... Uh, that's bigger-than-capes.com. Discovered... <laughs> Once again, that's bigger-than-capes.com. Um, I I came across them a little while ago and uh, started reading some of their stuff. And they're kind of like a, a superhero universe, but based entirely on African characters and sort of African uh, myth and legend to kind of build them around. They've only got quite a small crop of books so far, but hopefully a deal with Dark Horse will bring them to a wider audience. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, it's... It's interesting. Dark Horse seems to be making a bunch of deals with a bunch of people. I mean, I know they've got the Comicsology Originals deal. They're going to be printing all their trades, yep. well, at least some of them. So it seems like Dark Horse are helping a lot of people out, which is kind of weird. I, I mean, this is pure <laughs> speculation because I've got no real knowledge about how the business works. But if I was Dark Horse, I'd be looking at Image and Boom right now who are like sapping up all these licenses or just producing these like huge selling books. And they're both seem to be scrapping for kind of the bronze medal of comics at the moment. Yeah. And I think outside of like Hellboy and then some more historic stuff, Dark Horse, I don't know. They just don't look like they are keeping up at the moment. So perhaps going to pre-existing stuff and almost rebranding it as Dark Horse is a yeah, quick, quick way to get some books out. I mean, it's something we've seen before. I know they did Buffy and Angel for quite a long time until and Firefly, which, then, which have which all now ball. gone to boom. And, <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, is it? Because there's a lot of Dark Horse that I, I do love, like all the Black Hammer stuff and, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Hellboy um other Umbrella Academy titles are available. <laughs> yeah, so Umbrella Academy is uh, still still working its way out. Yeah, I, I just always feel like they don't have the same kind of non-stop output as Image, mm-hmm. or even even Boom seems to put more books out these days. I think it's an interesting yeah, I, little contrast. I think Dark Horse have slightly fallen into that kind of a publisher who sort of reprints a lot and does. Yeah. You know, translated Euro books or... Which, uh, by all means, is, is great. It's a yeah. great market. And I, I wish more European books got, you know... But I think it's a hard translated market. Translated and distributed. Sus- yeah, I think it's hard to sustain that when the market is normally looking for more flashy, mm. like modern style action. I think particularly if you are looking at trying to bring in some of the cinema or TV crowd, you've got to try and match what they've seen on screen with what they see on the page at least to some degree and i yeah. think if you've just come back from watching infinity war and you flick open i don't know it doesn't even have to be a superhero thing but anything from the 70s like the <laughs> or earlier the just the difference in the contrast i think would be would be hard to yeah that that's fair but that the deal with unique does sound promising and i hope it does bring some variety and some new eyes to both Unique and Dark Horse. I think that's it. I, I, I certainly doubt that Unique are going to uh, like steamroll the market. Somebody yeah, definitely. Something different than everybody else. Uh, on the note of uh, Boom and Image, uh-huh. I also read that Keanu Reeves' Berserker, the vowelless Berserker, yeah. uh, has outsold Crossover. On pre-order, the power of the Reeves. 
That's it. Shut it down. We're, we're done here. Huh? <laughs> um, I'm going to make a, a sweeping statement here of truth. And I think Crossover is the best comic of 2021. And, and we're only two issues in to it. And we're, and we're only a month into the year. That's a bold claim. I... The sheer, like, are you up to date on Crossover? Like, three issues? Just been the three? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think four is probably out, like, I don't know, any day now. But I I just think issue issue two, I think, is a lot more, like, exposition and building where we're going. But I thought issue one and three were just damn, damn good. And um, I'd... I just had a damn good time in issue three. I was just happy and it was fun and it was legitimately unpredictable. And I think if that's the tone for your comic going forward. I think, yeah, legitimately unpredictable is, uh, is absolutely like a stellar yeah, and mark to have on your comic. Cause it, gen- it really is as well. Like it's hard to see what's going to happen next. And I think the legitimate threat that I don't know when, but Spawn is coming. <laughs> and then uh, Savage Dragon to follow. Like every every new issue will be like, which classic image character? When's Invincible going to turn up? And I, I do where's, wonder... Where's Negan? Somebody, and it, some, w- one of these huge iconic characters might be Spawn, might be Dragon, might be one of Youngblood, it might be, hell, it might be Negan. It, they're just going to die, aren't they? They're just yeah. going to—they're going to make a huge appearance, an incredible entrance, and then just dead and flat. I don't know when, and I don't know how, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just want Donnie to know that I—I I know, man. I <laughs> and I'm ready. Rocking back to uh, Keanu. Um, do you think this is going to start a? Uh, potentially a trend of like finding a celebrity to effectively front your book. I mean, how much of this has Keanu actually written? I guess we'll probably never know, but he gets a, he gets a co-write credit and his face is, you know, plastered all over the book. He's just done it with cyberpunk. Yeah. I like, are we going to see, you know, uh... it's tough because, all right, firstly, let's, let's just get this right out there. I love Keanu Reeves. Oh yeah, man. With top guy. You know, um there, there's no dispute in that fact. Them's the facts. And the little like preview video for Brazuku that they put on <laughs> um Kickstarter seemed like the extracts from Mr. Reeves talking about the book almost seemed like the book was a surprise to him. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel weird about it. And I, I, I wouldn't like to speculate how much input he had into it. And I feel like you have to get a very specific level of celebrity to appeal to a comic buying audience or to get people who are into said celebrity, but not into comics. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and it does make me think of, you know, when Umbrella Academy was new, mm-hmm. there was an immediate thing about 
maybe not even a year after Umbrella Academy came out in trade, where it was like, yeah, Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy is writing a comic as well. (laughs) Now, I love Fallout Boy, but there was never a Fallout Boy comic. As far as I'm aware, Pete Wentz never wrote that book. And I do wonder, is that that it now? Keanu Reeves is going to do a comic, and then it'll be... Just him. Yeah, and there'll there'll be these constant rumors that you know Alex Winters is going to do a comic. Or... But that's it. I think it would be. I mean, Keanu Reeves might be one of the biggest kind of names to do it. But you know, you've got people like uh, Stephen Amell. Yeah, he was Arrow. I could imagine that happening. And Stephen Amell's like, I'm going to write a comic, and I'm going to be in it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I've I've also got a lot of love for Stephen Amell. <laughs> Or as I was taught by WWE, Stephen Amell. Gonna gonna really gonna really say Amel wrong, apparently. Um Yeah. Because <laughs> he, he seems like a guy who is just willing to do whatever and run with it. Um which fair play to the man. So I, I can definitely see him writing a comic based on him his him being a superhero just cause. Yeah. Um, and there's a few, and obviously we've seen other people. Um, obviously, it's a, this is a callback to an earlier reference in the Bowie thing. We've we've seen Duncan Jones throw out a graphic novel at the end of last year as well through Kickstarter, which I'm still waiting to turn up. I might add. Ooh, that that is heartbreaking when I know it's like in comic book shops already. I uh, <laughs> yeah, not not a fan of that. Do none of my Kickstarter turned up yet, and I know you've got two of yours that we went in on the same Kickstarter for. I've got to, wait two. I couldn't. I couldn't think of one. What else did I buy? Yeah, both the AWA ones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, where I, 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 I always I, call them AWA, but it's not. It's a Wave Blue World. Yes, it's a Wave. Their, their Blue names World. are too similar. Um, turned up only like three or four days ago, though. So maybe, maybe fingers crossed. They they did an update on the Kickstarter to say everything's been dispatched. So maybe you're just your your house is harder to get to than mine. Yeah. I don't know. So you got to climb a mountain. Um, uh, I I definitely overspent on that though because I ended up getting like all four of their anthologies that you could get, and I shouldn't. Have I done. see. I think I just went for the two the two later the the one the Kickstarter was for and yeah. so it was whatever the. Is it maybe Sunday and um, that other one? The other uh, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love the other one. Uh, I'll know when it turns up. Um, I've got one more bit of news, and this is a bit more speculative, but it would appear that George Clooney, uh, his production company, along with Brian K. Vaughan, are going to relaunch Book Rogers. All right, I thought that was going to end with Batman, and <laughs> frankly, I'm disappointed. Well, with um, George Clooney writing the comic and putting himself in as Batman again to redress. Um, to, to just hit home with an uh, an old statement from me, George Clooney is my Batman. I... <laughs> no comment. Can't argue with the facts. Um, that's that's kind of weird, but kind of interesting. I mean, is is Clooney going to be Book Rogers? Is that the promise I think that you're making? Some speculation he might be, but it's more to do. I think it's his production company are okay. going to be funding it. So it, it might um, not be that he's the Book Rogers we're looking for, but perhaps not. But uh, I used to watch Book Rogers as a as a wean. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of curious, but in a <laughs> terrified way, I guess is the right 
With Brian K. Vaughan attached, like I'm, uh, he's I mean, a hell of a writer. He probably could get on and finish Saga, but you know what I mean. He's uh, he's still worth looking into. Um, I I'm kind of curious enough to see what that could involve and how you kind of spruce Bruce Rogers up for Bruce Rogers you, book Rogers. How you spruce book Rogers up for how you book Bruce Rogers? I I <laughs> think you don't. I think like keep it as camp. Maybe, and, yeah. And like pulpy as possible. That could work. Um, I, I especially, I, I always think that when you try and like renovate ideas for the 2000s, there are often times when it's like, no, keep it ridiculous because yeah. people we need get, a bit of that. People are nostalgic for the things that they weren't alive for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that That's an interesting one. I, I'm going to need to take some time to think about this. <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, it, while we're on TV, um, it has been announced the first seven castings for the Sandman Netflix show. Ooh la la. And controversially, controversially, controversially. You said that controversially. <laughs> that's right. The seven casting is not for the seven members of the Endless, which would have made more sense than... <laughs> When I saw the post, it's like the first seven members of the cast have been announced. I'm like, the endless got you. Mm-hmm. It's not. So not sure how I feel. Whatever. Um, so the seven we've got are Tom Sturridge is Dream, Ward of the Dreaming. They've all okay. got little subtitles to explain the obvious. Um, yeah. You'll see the level of explaining the obvious in a second. Gwendolyn Christie is Lucifer, ruler of hell. Okay, I'm into that. I I'm super into that. I mean, that's cool casting. That it's just good casting, and obviously, Neil Neil Gaiman's original pitch was that David Bowie was Lucifer, and that's what we get in that first few appearances in the comic. But Bowie's dead, so you have to go in a different direction. And but it has that kind of slightly androgynous, yeah, and I think that like styles to it, and I think uh, Gwendolyn Christie could could really pull that off. Definitely, and I think it's the right kind of choice to make because we've seen so many versions of Lucifer over the years, and yeah, we've seen both, both comic standard. book and regular Lucifer, you know. Yeah, no, but we've seen we, yeah, as you say, we've seen the pretty standard versions of either it's a big red dude with horns, or it's a white guy in a suit. Yeah, and to have uh, some variation that isn't that is uh, is refreshing. We we got a little bit of variation in the latter seasons of sabrina you know truth yeah but that's fair. but with all due respects i just think this is going to be better <laughs> um moving <laughs> moving casually on from just laying down the law on how good this is going to be i i don't think <laughs> I even, this is the thing i don't think i need the sandman show i just i just need like Gwendolyn Christie is Lucifer, and whatever you do around that, sure, cool, whatever. Um, yeah, just watch it for that. Vivian Achempong is Lucian, the librarian of the Dreaming. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, cool, cool, cool. Uh, we've got Charles Dance as Roderick Burgess, the charlatan and magician who you know, imprisons Dream, and again, just good casting, isn't it? So I suggest they are looking at Volume One. However, 
Uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar is Kane, the first Predator. Right. Asim Chowdhury is Abel, the first victim. Nice. Like Asim Chowdhury. And here's where the volume one thing gets interesting, because Boyd Holbrook is the Corinthian and escapes Nightmare. Which brings us into volume two's territory. Yeah, so they're going to mush him up a bit. I, I guess they kind of did that with um, Umbrella Academy, right? The yeah, kind of... and uh, Lock and Key as well. We've seen kind of shuffled in on itself. That's truth, yeah. Um, so it could definitely work. And it's it's a good batch of casting for the first chunk. Yeah. Do you know what this is going to... Any word about what this is going to come out on? Um, It's Netflix. It's Netflix, good. Because I've had, I've found one thing with the DC TV stuff is always quite hard to get hold of. Yeah, and I think a lot of time we get hold of it when we've already been told that America hated it and it's been cancelled. Yeah, so a lot Which of the Arrowverse is... stuff is hard to get. Uh, Swamp Thing was hard to get. Titans, yeah. as it turns out, is on Netflix. And nobody's watching it, so... <laughs> I, I watched it. <laughs> I um, It is interesting, because I, I really liked Constantine, and the fact that we got it on, like, Prime Video, and we're told, yeah, it's been cancelled, and we got Swamp Thing on Prime Video, and it's been cancelled. It's... I, I kind of welcome the idea that this is going to come out through Netflix and maybe get taken seriously and not be a, we only care about the American audience and they hate it kind of production. Um, I've seen a lot of the response be, yeah, this is really cool and um, I'm looking forward to this, but what about death? And um, a lot of people seem very hung up on the casting of death. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, people need to get over it. <laughs> Who's cast? Or is that uh, unannounced, is it? Unannounced. Those, those are the only ones we've got so far. Um, so death is a mystery. Delirium, destruction, desire are all still to play for. Um, the most important, Hobgadling, is... Still yet to be snatched up. Still yet to be decided. And get your audition tape in, man. I reckon I've got it in me to be, you know, most of those characters. You know, you're destined to be Ted Cord. I, you know what? I think I could do Ted Cord justice, and, and I have no previous <laughs> acting experience, but I'm I'm willing to say that that could be my breakout role. That's where you're at. Well, shall we then segue into talking about a movie that doesn't deserve to be taken seriously? Um, of course, Will. And uh, this was your choice, so I'm going to let you break it to the world as we debut our second film club episode from the year 1994 it has a striking 50 on metacritic and a 6.1 on imdb it's alec baldwin's the shadow um how would you like to, would you like to explain the plot of the shadow and then we'll uh okay or... yeah <laughs> I, I love how so... uncertain about that you were <laughs> so a mongolian warlord played by sir alec baldwin unofficially knighted meets a holy man who teaches him how to do like hypnotism 
um, and be, you know, like a good person. <laughs> he then journeys back to his hometown of New York, um, where he resumes his role as the Shadow, where he fights crime and gangsters until this was a point of confusion for me. But we'll come back to this, but until yeah. a uh, a chap turns up from Mongolia who uh, idolized the Shadow's previous life and decides that he's going to conquer the world in Genghis Khan fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then him and the Shadow, you know, do fights until uh, credits roll. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> not incorrect, I guess. I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of the pitch they gave when they, you know, sold it. Um, yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> I feel like they probably had a little bit more like, hey, well, what about this? But um, I mean, they didn't put it in the film, but. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is a film that. It's. Oh, Matt, I don't know what to I don't know what to say right here. This this is like a gap in my mind. This is a film that should be. Pretty good. Yeah, it's got a lot of the building blocks of what could have been a good film. I get the impression this had some money behind it. Like I didn't actually look any of this up, but at least some faith from the producing studios. See, the problem is, okay, this definitely had some money thrown at it, but I feel like they threw all of that money in one direction. Not the band. Um, (laughs) Sorry, had to had to clear that up for some reason. That that mattered. Weird soundtrack. Um, I mean, the soundtrack is weird. That that's another. Yeah, <laughs> that's another question. So, okay, the budget estimated was twenty five million. Wowzers. Um, they made back worldwide gross forty eight million. I mean, nearly doubled your money. Yeah, in a weird way. And I I feel like all the money, and stop me if you disagree by all means, I feel like all the money went on getting the cast and literally nothing else. <laughs> and it's it's a cast that... Okay, so the main, main characters, we've got Alec Baldwin as The Shadow, Lamont Cranston. We've got John Lone as... Um, Khan, what's his first name, man? What's his first name? Shuan? Shuian? I think, yeah. After a bit, they just start calling him Khan, and it's easy to remember yeah. what his first name is. I think he's Shuan Khan. Yeah. And then you've got um, Penelope Ann Miller as Margot Lane. And that that's your main cast. Those are your three go-tos. You've got your hero, your villain, and your... Telepathic, somewhat femme fatale love interest with a whole lot of question marks mm-hmm. about what's going on. But then you get the kind of extended cast, which is Ian McKellen and Tim Curry and Peter Boyle and characters that don't matter are known actors. Yeah. What the hell is that? It's like Carl 
right? Carl, man, Carl from The Breakfast Club is just a gangster who gets punched a lot and goes <laughs> mad with a Tommy gun in one of the first scenes. There is a character who isn't named, I don't think, in the film called Lee Peng, who's played by James Hong, who again, gets killed in one of the first scenes. Yeah. Why get, like, known actors? The the downstairs neighbour from Friends, Mr. Heckles, is a cab driver who blows himself up and is in one scene. Why is every character, like, a recognisable star? From, well, no, not star. A recognisable actor from the 90s. Even if they don't need to be, you could, yeah. you could get some extras. <laughs> but even the extras are, like... No, there'll be a high-profile nobody. The best, the best caliber of nobody. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is uh, the cast they've got is is, is sort of insane. I wonder yeah. if, like, when this was released, nineteen ninety four. I, I imagine this has come right off the coattails of um, Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah, this is definitely that phase where every studio tried to have their Batman and. We saw this, we saw The Crow, we saw The Phantom. A lot think, of those. The, yeah, the I think it's very com- in. Compounded with uh, probably somewhere else the budget went, is they got Jerry Goldsmith in to do the score, who is uh, obviously a highly recognisable sort of film composer, but he owes a lot to Danny Elfman for this score because this, this score sounds like Batman. Yeah. There, there, yeah. Are, there are particular moments where it's one step away from going into the exact batman tim burton's theme <laughs> yeah and he's uh, like someone's that, there slapping him going like no not that having said that the fact that it does sound like batman and that it's written by jerry goldsmith somehow gives the film a, a slight addition like legitimacy as well i i'm willing to allow that <laughs> it's it's interesting because it's got an air of legitimacy that it's like the film is trying to stop mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it, the sound is so okay so the score is good the soundtrack is bizarre yeah but then the casting is pretty incredible and it's then like i don't know it's like someone made a deal with the devil and that deal was you'll have amazing casts and terrible films <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's the balance that was struck because it's i don't know i i haven't seen this for about 20 years no me neither which also begs a question because i decided to do some research here because i remember my mum talking about this film a lot when i was younger so I, I called her today and i'm like hey so why did you like the shadow so much when i was younger and, and, and her honest response was i don't think i've ever seen the shadow <laughs> which then led me into this like black hole of then how did i see the shadow and and why did you talk about it if you'd never seen the shadow and i can't figure it out man it's like i've definitely seen this Mm -hmm. and seeing it again some of it came screaming back to me and other bits did not (laughs) there were specific bits the knife with a face yeah it was pretty memorable Uh, perda I think so, but we'll uh, we'll get we'll get to some of those bits. So, having said that, it, it steals a lot. I say steals. That's maybe a bit harsh. Borrows from uh, Tim Burton's Batman. Borrows forever and doesn't return. Uh, I think there are some other like connective tissues to to lots of other things. So, as part of the story, 
um, our main man, the Shadow, Lamont Cranston, begins as a Mongolian like war chief. Slash opium dealer? Like, Slash oh, opium, opium trader? Dealer. He's, he's doing he seems, something with opium. Seems pretty successful at it. Never really bothers to tell you how American Lamont Cranston becomes said Mongolian. See, I, I had... I, this is something I'd made a note of, because they acknowledge that seven years pass from him starting his training to become the Shadow and returning to America, but then his, like, uncle, Police Commissioner Wainwright, mm. to his to his relatives, <laughs> apparently, call, says to him that, like, hey, well, well, what about when you went missing for seven years after the war? And it's like, whoa, 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 what war got an American man into China? And if you're saying he went for mi- missing for seven years, that's the training. So are you saying you were okay with him being, like, a Mongolian warlord, opium? farmer and the problem was that he then didn't text you or didn't didn't drop any hints <laughs> as to what he did for the seven years after the drug trade i let's let's touch on that training as well so we're treated to just a title page explaining that the, his the training, training has, has happened it's taken place and now he's not a, a merciless warlord he's now like a, a vigilante for good for some reason for some reason and it's never really again, sort of gotten into for any purpose. I almost feel like if you're going to give it that little service, just take that bit out of his backstory. Like, just, just drop him back into America and don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, anywho. Um, well, it's interesting as well, because at the end of that title card, it says, like, you know, he's going back to the, you know, I can't remember the phrasing, but, you know, a cesspit of humanity, the absolute worst place on Earth. Moss Eisley. <laughs> And and as it ticks up and it's it's like the dot dot dot, uh, Marta turns to me and goes, "It's New York City then." And then the next shot is New York City, and it's like, "Yeah, why is it always New York? Can can it ever be like he's dealing with the problems in Detroit or Chicago or?" Well, Detroit's got RoboCop, so no need to. <laughs> That's true. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, no need I, to double down there. Uh, Chicago got Michael Jordan so he can defend them true yeah you know he just smashes his problems with basketballs and... <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's just that question of it's always new york city and i know a lot of comic book companies were based in new york and that's the real reason that you write what you know and everyone assumed that everybody lived in new york but come on man they've already got like the fantastic four and the phantom and <laughs> I think they've just got that like self-fulfilling prophecy that as long as you make more media like selling New York as this like playground of Hollywood and ideas, then the more it just becomes that and everything just ends up. And Ghostbusters are there, Rocky's there. Right, whoa, whoa, whoa. Rocky is in Philadelphia. Oh, you Rocky watch is your in mouth. Philadelphia. You're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to uh, sit in the corner I, for 12 I minutes. I that bit out so, you know. Yeah, People don't just, think you're a complete take, fool. Just take that out for me. I'm not a huge fan of Rocky, to be honest. So um, I don't really care. But th- th- this is the thing. A lot of a lot of media is set in New York. And I, I would love for it to be like, oh, man, where are you going to go back and protect? Delaware. Yeah. <laughs> North Carolina. It's like... 
And I'm not picky about the city. Uh, I, they can have a full state to defend. If, if you know, obviously, I accept that there's clearly more crime in New York because there's more superheroes. So if if they have to spread it out, maybe the shadow has to travel to protect North Carolina. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. not a details guy. But <laughs> um, well, I mean, neither are the filmmakers, so it doesn't doesn't really seem to be a problem. Um, but within that, so. He goes for some sort of mystical Eastern training. I and I thought, this this is very reminiscent of Batman Begins. And also very reminiscent of that bit in The Phantom where he gets trained on a mysterious island to be the Phantom. Correct. And I find this seems to be a, a, a common theme with our kind of pulp heroes is that they are trained in some sort of often Eastern mystical art. Let's also credit, though, that Batman being trained as a ninja in the middle of some mysterious land is lifted from the question, in which was obviously acquired by DC, but is also a much more pulp character. Mm. Who came so, first? So the um, shadow came before Batman. I don't know if Batman... Right. As far as I'm aware, the Batman Batman's a ninja thing is, I think, was something that was added in later on. So I think it's, the question had that training before Batman. It sounds like Frank Miller would do that. Yeah, I, I feel like there are a lot of DC 80s people who would like just tear stuff from a different character and chuck that into Batman or Daredevil or... Yeah. So I, I'm basically saying I think Batman got an update via pulp characters because it wasn't enough that he was already the world's greatest detective. He also had to be a ninja. He also had to be the world's greatest ninja detective. Um, I've got some other connective tissue here I think is very interesting. So Lamont Cranston is the mm-hmm. Shadow's real name, but that's just like Brian Cranston, so Breaking Bad. Of course, Power Rangers. Uh, the love interest, Margot Lane... Well, that's the surname of Lois Lane. It's also the first name of Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane, so Superman. Ah. By coincidence or by design? I think entirely by design. To make people a little bit more okay with it. Yeah. I did like, I mean, you've already, you've mentioned as part of the cast, uh, our good friend Peter Boyce, famous for Everybody Loves Raymond, and my personal favorite, Young Frankenstein. Completely fair. Uh, but I also very much enjoyed, uh, there's a kind of security guard called, he gets credited as Nelson, played by Ethan Phillips, who is uh, Neelix. Yeah. One of my notes here is just, why is Neelix a security guard? Why does Neelix <laughs> shoot himself in the head? <laughs> um, I mean, we've not even got into Khan yet, have we? That's... Nope. So Khan entered with great confusion for me. Because it begins with them uncovering what appears to be Genghis Khan's like sarcophagus. Yes, which we all know is the traditional way that Genghis Khan was buried, obviously. I yeah, guess. in a huge, a huge metal tube. Solid silver, apparently. This, through kind of magical works, pops open. And our main antagonist steps out, uh, kills Neelix. As you do. And my assumption there was, so this is Genghis Khan then? Yeah, and it almost feels surreal when then they... So someone reads, someone who can read Latin, obviously. Yeah. But, but why would it be Latin if it's Genghis Khan's 
sarcophagus, surely it would be, you know, Mongolian or Mandarin or whatever language would have been most appropriate for Genghis Khan. Whatever, you know what, whatever Genghis Khan wanted, let's be honest. So maybe he did want Latin, never mind. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so the emojis. Yeah, the museum curator pops up and reads that it's the coffin of not Genghis Khan. He uses his real name, which I didn't make a note of, um, or allegedly his real name. Let's be honest, not a lot of fact checking going on here in this film, is there? Gregory Thompson. <laughs> um, so Genghis Khan's coffin pops open, and we get Shuan Khan, and I Tamujin. Tamujin is the original, is the real name of Genghis Khan. Sorry, I needed to know. And <laughs> someone should know. Um, it it's kind of feels like, were you originally going to cast immortal Genghis Khan as the villain and then thought, actually, wait a minute, that's a bit much. Um, <laughs> it should be the last descendant of Genghis Khan, Shawan Khan, who we all know and love as a historical figure. And... I actually I got into a conversation following this reveal of Genghis Khan traveled the world, right? He he got about. Are we really saying there's only one descendant of Genghis Khan? According to, and it might just be hyperbole, but yeah, apparently he had like thousands of kids. Yeah. So, what did did Shuan Khan just trek around, just like doing away with all the other last? descendants of Genghis Khan. Now, I might have missed this. Does it explain that in the film, or have you just got that from your own personal research? Because I I didn't get that he's a descendant. No, he he says that he is the last descendant of Genghis Khan. I kind of got that he was like a big admirer of uh, the shadow in his his previous life. For some reason, whatever that means. But, I, I mean, for the first few scenes that this guy's in i'm kind of thinking okay so this is an ancient this is genghis khan somehow like preserved in this sarcophagus and now come to our modern world as a modern it's like in the 30s or whatever but has now come to this world to to take over to continue his expansion so while i'm watching this there's a bit where he's in a taxi and the taxi driver's kind of writing down where he's going to and he's like you're recording my recording my destination and the guy's like, well, you know, taxi rules. And he kind of rolls his eyes and gets out. Yeah. And I'm there thinking, fair enough, Genghis Khan probably doesn't understand how taxis work. Mm. And then, like, hypnotizes the driver and says, you need fuel now. And drives his taxi straight into, like, a huge fuel tank and blows everything up. Which, to yes. be fair, was a great scene when just before the guy says, it's my lucky day. And then it explodes. <laughs> it's so dumb. It does. Is... Um, so... But I was so, <laughs> during all of that. I'm thinking, how does he not understand taxis, but understands that taxis need fuel? Yeah, and it's interesting because apparently Shuan Khan was a character in the Shadow back in the day. So okay, it's, right. apparently he's an established entity, but the character is written as if he. The character is written as if at some point they decide he isn't Genghis Khan. But that was the like that was the original intention because yeah, why would he not know about taxis if he's just a modern day man who? I just maybe happens it's a, to think he's Genghis Khan. I don't know. 
maybe it's a joke about American taxis I just don't I don't get but I, it it left me confused for a while once I explained who he was I thought okay explains why he understands what fuel is explained is a loose kind of well yeah yeah. <laughs> um, so, running us along the side that he's come back from. Mm-hmm. Well, no, running alongside the fact that Lamont Cranston has returned to New York City to be the Shadow, and Shawn Khan has basically pursued him as a, as just a huge fan who who you can ship in a crate. That's fine. Yeah. Um, we we've got Margot Lane who is a little bit telepathic mm-hmm. and her father Reinhardt Lane Ian McKellen who is building sorry, a sorry yeah <laughs> much, much actual sir here not like Alec Baldwin <laughs> yeah, genuine. Who, who is building a implosive device which Margot will go on to describe as harmless energy research some kind of implosive device yeah they essentially create the nuke what like 10 years too early yes yes they do and his assistant farley claymore is tim curry who's doing something with with spheres i don't know tim curry isn't in the film a lot what he is in when he is oh is pure gold what i was most impressed by is that tim curry gets the and in the opening credits of all of the other cast in that film, it's Tim Curry who gets the and Tim Curry. Yeah, as, as if he's the big name and everybody else get. is some sucker. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I now obviously this is IMDb trivia, so I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently Tim Curry took this role purely for the opportunity to work with Ian McKellen. That seems fair. But I think you can flip those names. I think it can easily be Ian McKellen took this role to work with Tim Curry. And <laughs> I think both make as much sense to me in this world. The and... star of Home Alone 2 and Red and Conquer Red Alert. Did I say Red and Conquer? Command and Conquer Red Alert. <laughs> See, that, that's interesting because I described it at, last night as, come on, it's the star of Apt's Pupil and the star of... <laughs> That film where he's got a monkey that talks with sign language. Oh, I can't <laughs> remember. Look, is that is that Congo? I think it might be Congo. Uh, and that rings a bell. They're trying yeah. to steal diamonds from angry prehistoric monkeys, and I, I think you can amp up how dumb you make them both sound in films quite easily, and I respect I that. Um, but neither of them need to be in this film. I, I can't stress that enough. They're, they're here purely for the ride at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, they have so little screen time. I mean, McKellen spends most of it having been hypnotised. And, <laughs> and not basic, really acting. No, he's barely saying a word, just kind of doddering around, going like, oh, where, where am I? And like, oh, okay, here's your paycheck, and Ian. For some reason, it is casually important that he is colourblind. Yeah, or is he colorblind, or does he just not know what red and green are? Is it just like an eccentricity? I don't really know. Yeah, like that's it, never it's quite very unclear. And a, a part, a part of me was like, well, it's the nineteen thirties. Maybe they didn't know as much about being colorblind. And if it's nineteen thirties, like, it would have all been in black and white. So true, it wouldn't have mattered to him. No. <laughs> but but equally, Tim Curry starts the film as a kind of slightly creepy lab assistant type. 
very well dressed for a lab assistant i must say and then descends very quickly into like known quantity madman and he's like um even says to khan like i'm the only one smart enough to willingly team up with you and it's like what what <laughs> like you you hear that this guy's after destroying america and go best get in on that don't want to don't want to be the, the idiot who gets blown up yeah just don't want to be left out and don't worry on that leads me to it if we're going in chronological order i can save this for later but tim curry is part of my favorite scene in this is it like um when tim curry is alone in some sort of ballroom shooting machine gun wildly into the air that's the most incredible like camera angle sort of 90 degrees above his head watching these like beads of sweat come down as he monologues some insane line of dialogue it's just i mean nobody else would throw themselves so like full-heartedly into such a stupid scene and i can't help but love him for it that leads into him being thrown through a window no he throws himself through a window like 30 feet down and then still manages to go through a glass coffee table (laughs) and it's very unclear if he's going to walk away from that or not i they (laughs) i found that interesting that that decision quite interesting as well because like i figured the shadow would be more deadly right he's got this pair of pistols that he uses a handful of times but normally he's just kind of sparking people out yeah so for a man with two guns he punches a lot (laughs) So I was thinking, okay, they've kind of taken a, a no-killing aspect with the shadow. But very much not. But then he just says, like, I mean, jump out that window. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he goes, okay, I'll jump out that window. It's such a, like, conflict of interests. And incidentally, no, that isn't my favourite Tim Curry's. Wow. Is it, in the, <laughs> is it in the water, like, sphere? What is that sphere for, either? I, Why? I, I can't figure it out. I was hoping you would have like gleaned something I couldn't. Just a metal sphere made for just filling up with water. It, it's not that. There is a bit very close to the end where Ian McKellen is like hypnotized putting together this bomb in this giant sphere that apparently that's that's the science that Tim Curry specializes in is metal spheres. And he's just like <laughs> wandering around in the background like a maniac going, bet you didn't count on me being friends with a conqueror, did you? Did you? <laughs> the the whole scene is like whoa tim curry has gone from a little bit creepy to like proper unhinged lunatic yeah and all it took was like fancy uh fancy blowing up new york it's like ah cracking yeah i've been hoping to properly lose my mind and this sounds right up my alley it is is excellent (laughs) what did what did you think overall like about the, the sort of look and the the vfx on display okay so it goes from cringeworthy 90s mm-hmm. at the best of times with like the knife with the face that moves on its own and drags him around a room yeah. in a fight scene which is like awkwardly 90s to the final kind of showdown in the hall of mirrors which we all have in our hotels i was I, I, that and the trick floor do you know when he first gets there yeah i got that um sort of flash gordon like tilting floor and i was thinking like who's building a hotel and thinking you know what this needs <laughs> death traps <laughs> 
you know what would really finish this off is if we could do this right next to the hall of mirrors. Imagine how off balance you'd be. Like, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's like wait, wait, wait. You're this super powered, mind controlling entity who's the last descendant of Genghis Khan for some reason, and you're like gimmick floor, funhouse attraction. <laughs> That's. That's what I need to defeat my enemy, who I've also tried to recruit because I think he's evil for reasons. Yeah. For reasons that, within the context of the film, do make sense. Like, he was a warlord, but to the viewer, yeah. don't don't really make... If you miss the first ten minutes of this film, you have no reason to understand why Khan is like, you and me, bro, villains, right? Am I right? Except I'm not a villain because this is what Genghis Khan wanted. His descendants to finish the job. And at no point do they acknowledge that he's trying to finish the job for Genghis Khan. But Genghis Khan's no longer, like, ruling half the world. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't need to just take over the bits that old Genghis Khan missed. He needs to take over the world. Yeah, yeah. It's not like 50% is still under the sort of Khan... Yeah, it's not like he's already got, you know, half the planet, like, on the books already, and it's the finishing touches. But he seems to think that's the case. We also don't really get beyond the the stickler of just, I'm going to set this bomb off in New York. And then? And it's like, also, he's in New York. Yeah. It's it's like I'm I'm gonna use this. It's uh, it both both implodes and explodes. It's made from mystical Chinese metal. <laughs> to be fair, the hypnotism powers are basically whatever you need them to be at any given point in the story. Like they are far-reaching uh, powers. There's a bit where they're fighting, and uh, I think the shadow is a shadow at that particular moment. And two I crossbows kind of go into the wall and pin his shadow and he takes off his coat as if that's fine (laughs) and he like steps out from the wall but that wasn't described as what his power was he doesn't become a shadow he 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 appears invisible by confusing you essentially and the only thing he can't hide is his shadow so they just seem to recreate his powers every other scene (laughs) it's interesting isn't it because okay let's just hammer this home for anyone not playing along at home um the shadow can confuse you, which essentially allows him to disappear. Yeah. Margot has telepathy, but only with um, Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. and her cousin, apparently. A <laughs> who, creepy cousin. Who will not appear in this film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but was th- play, played by Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is known that she hears voices... By the police commissioner, mm-hmm. but not her own father. You. Khan can also do the whole confusion stuff, but very much uses it as a power of suggestion thing rather than to blend into the shadows. Yeah. Even though he had the exact same training as the shadow, so he should. There should be scenes in this film where two invisible men fight. I'd like to see that or not see that. I stand by it. I um I can actually hook you up with a um you don't need this but I I can hook you up with um an independent wrestling match where two invisible men fight and the crowd reacts as if it's happening you're as right. does as does the referee but you're right I don't need it <laughs> um, okay 
I'm going to roll out some positives. All right, and I look forward to. Oh, can I can I throw one like not negative but not positive, just legit question mark while I've mentioned the police? Hit me. Um, there is a point where he turns to a waiter and says, uh, "More chives, please." <laughs> he <And> does. And- <laughs> Do you know what this food needs? Fucking who, shit on this chives. Who the fuck is this man? Who is this? I've I've eaten a lot of food. I'm going to put that down as like an accomplishment. Tick. Lot of food. I have never gone. Huh? Can I get some more chives in this? I think I need a bucket of parsley to go with this, please. Yeah, it's, it's an insane thing to request, and you think such an easy thing to script as well. He needs he needs more of something. I mean, pepper. salt, the thing water, he needs is wine, pepper, salt, water, and <laughs> parmesan. Christ, I don't care. There are so but many things it could chives. be, but chives. Yeah, it's uh, no, you're right. It's um, it's an incredible, uh, incredible bit of script, <laughs> or not? Okay, let's roll out. Let's roll out some of these here positives. Okay, there are a couple of examples of painted backgrounds. Mm. I'm a sucker for a painted background. In one of the f- the first scene in New York where he's beating up Carl from the Breakfast Club, mm. um, we see an amazing shot of painted on New York, and there's a bit on the bridge. Yeah, and there's a bit where they look down the bridge, and they are just looking at a painted wall, and it's really, really obvious that it's a painted wall. Yeah. Now that wasn't a great one, I admit, but there's a shot I think just as they're setting up that of the bridge and of New York, like from one side of the river to the other. Mm. And it's a really like good painted background. And yeah, I think, I don't know in 1994, like whether that's still something you chose to do or whether that was still kind of the best option uh, for, for making backgrounds. You didn't want to just go and shoot, but it makes it feel like a film set in the thirties. Like it gives its time period, a certain authenticity by, yeah backgrounds like i say whether it is our choice or kind of necessity i think it worked it's an interesting one i i agree i couldn't decide if that was like still the way you went for things if you needed new york it was easier to paint it than it was to like new york at night like it was in the 30s like i guess it's probably too early to be easily penciling out buildings and stuff but um yeah i it's interesting because I, I do wonder if it was like an active choice to make it look more like a 1930s film, but that seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous they'd put the thought into that and not, you know, things like plot. Well, yeah. And um, I, I do, on a similar line, just kind of wonder that the house he lives in, which um, is unbelievable as a kind of mid-city mansion, yeah, is what I'm going to call it. And I couldn't decide if that was painted or if it was like a real building. It it yeah, looked really too flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I couldn't figure that one out. No matter how many times they showed it, <laughs> no, how many times I rewinded. Uh, what else have I got? Which is which is a positive. I mean, as we said, the the Curry McKellen scenes are gold. gold. They they don't need to be. And <laughs> um, I've got I've got one for you. There is a point where. Um, there is a dream sequence of Alec Baldwin thinks he hears Margot shout from the other room and runs through and then realizes there's a hole in his face and peels his, starts peeling his face off. And then the face is a mask and he's been carn all along. And yeah. 
And just the legitimate fear of watching him put his hand in his face was really creepy and really well done for a, like, you know, basic bit of plastic face uh, practical effects-ness. Yeah. Actually quite a good scene. Yeah, I think they The, the that start, one at least. Uh, Absolutely. The, no. the bit where he explains it to Margot and she talks about being naked on a beach is... Well, it's just fucking surreal, isn't it, actually? Yeah, that, that is fucking bizarre. Um, <laughs> to continue my positive path, the Shadow that, Sanctum... That was a positive. <laughs> Not Margot on the beach, that's just no, bizarre. That was horribly negative. But um, the Shadow Sanctum is a pretty cool design. It's a little, like, hexagonal underground little base. Yeah, just alcoves with various bits of stuff. I think that was pretty pretty cool. Pistol hidden in a secret drawer in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Because the thing with that was like, so if someone corners you in this lair, is are the walls lined with hidden drawers full of guns, or is it always <laughs> that one drawer? And you've like, it, you know, if you're getting cornered, you're gonna, you have to find a way to steer yourself towards to that, that hidden. Wall. Yeah, it, it it was just an immediate thought of like, is that like. If you if this was a real lair, you'd like have to put hidden guns everywhere, just in case. Just in case, because what if you get cornered in your quite small central area? And how often do you have to sort of take them out and maintain all the guns? Because you don't want to step on it and just be like all rusted up. True, or like no bullets. Like ah oh, shucks, I used this one last time. <laughs> you'd need a good regimen. But despite that, the design was cool. I was into that. Yes. Yeah. There is this whole thing of him being invisible. And I think they deal with the action in quite a quite a decent way, which is kind of he just flashes into view just yeah. as he's kind of connecting with people. Which I, I guess I, I would notice if I was getting punched. I think I would have the wherewithal to go, wait a minute. <laughs> so so yeah, that it makes sense and it, it, it looks as one of the special effects that would be easiest to kind of screw up, I think they do pull it off. Yeah. And I think uh, just from a viewing perspective as well, I think I've seen films before where people are pretending to get hit by something that isn't there. Yeah. So to actually have Alec Baldwin punching you is probably, well, that's a, that's a question actually. Is Alec Baldwin the shadow? Like stunt guy. Because, yeah, he, he pull, puts his hat on and then he puts that bandana over his mouth but not nose, which in 2020 with all the mask wearing did annoy me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, But in doing so, his forehead, eyes and nose become the face of another man. Yeah. I think I think in the originals that's supposed to be like prosthetic to make him... Yeah. Just, he's thought about this even more than Batman. Like, you know, like the question doesn't have a face because he has that weird blank mask. Or I, and I assume that's what we were going for, but it comes from nowhere. As soon as the hat goes on, he's a different guy. I think towards the end, it suggests he's doing that, like... Voluntarily. Hypnotically, because he sort of loses it at one point. And he, don't, we get badass Alec Baldwin at the end where he's lost the hat, the mask is gone, he's all covered in water for some reason, and he's got his, like, jacket open, and he's just, you know... Alec Baldwin's going to kill you, man. That's that's the vibe. Is like, Alec's here and this is over. This is, I don't know, this is Luke versus the Emperor. This is, this is the showdown. 
I mean, far less significant, obviously, in many ways, but this is the best Alec Baldwin has ever looked. Yeah, without a doubt. There's a uh, an excellent moment where Khan and the Shadow shoot each other. Yeah. And the bullets meet in midair. Yes, they do. And the I, best bit about it is how surprised they both look. Yeah, the, it, it would be easy, like... Okay, a good example is, you know in Red, where... Mm-hmm. Um, Malkovich shoots the rocket in midair and it yeah. explodes and he's super cool. I, that's what I expected. The fact that both of them are like, holy fucking shit, did you see that? Are we just, <laughs> yeah. Wow, we are really good at this. That's what it's, really made that scene for me was that just a mutual complete shock. Yeah, it feels like at that point, they should just be like, no, right, we've, we've seen enough. Let's just shake hands and walk away from this. You, you can... <laughs> You blow up New York, whatever you need to do. This is, we are evenly matched, good sir. (laughs) I don't know. It's got that weird, weird vibe to it. So in in spite of that insane little bit of shooting, it's not my favorite weapons-based scene, I think. Go on. Um, So after building a bomb into a sphere, said sphere manages to roll away from <laughs> yeah. Margot and uh, Reinhardt as they try to disarm it. Um, and their first effort increases the timer because, of course, it does. Yeah. Um, and then it rolls away from them <laughs> <laughs> into an elevator shaft. <laughs> and he's kind of suspended on the, like, grill of the elevator yeah. doors. And they have to, like, I don't know, tightrope walk across it almost to disarm it mm-hmm. which Extra is just effort. just incredibly dumb isn't it like it's I not s- enough that it's a atomic bomb they've built from ancient metal and it's going to wipe out as much of north america as possible and of course in the end actually de- deactivating it is just one wire but it, it, we get that nice callback to, oh, is it red? Is it green? He is just it red doesn't or is know. It green? I feel that entire character trait is pulled in for that one punchline, which is not just not worth having. It's it's a joke that doesn't pay off. It's it not no funny. It's um, and you know what? I I do wonder did they have like um did they have like a you know deleted scenes that all backed it up? Was that like? <laughs> Was this whole subplot with the with red and green and like Khan's getting increasingly frustrated with Ian McKellen because it's like no man that's up that's clearly red I <laughs> I don't know it's it it just begs that question was there a bunch of stuff with Tim Curry getting annoyed and is, is was that like a whole other film we could have had where it's just disagreements about color schemes or <laughs> yeah there are several other colors he gets confused but they were for the sequels. Um, <laughs> There's one other. There's a there's a scene where uh, Khan goes to the top of the Empire State Building. Mm. Oh, I know exactly where this is going. Go on. And a sailor insults him. Yeah. That sailor, played by Patrick Fischler, who I have most recently seen in Happy. F- for some reason, again, <laughs> all quite recognisable actors in meaningless roles. Yeah, but he, uh, due to the insult. Khan makes him climb the railing to the Empire State and throw himself off. Yeah. All well and good. The best bit is the, how it turns into the next scene, which shows him as just a, a like a small black dot falling from the Empire State building and hitting a ledge 
about two thirds of the way down, the camera just pans down to uh, Alec Baldwin uh, and Penelope Ann Miller. Yeah, just just trotting through the streets of New York, completely oblivious. And I thought that's actually pretty funny. Oh man, <laughs> that's not even the best part. The best part is that as we see him falling, the the next line from Alec Baldwin is, "It's all falling into place." I mean, how have they gone? from forgetting why he's a warlord to writing just fucking pure gold scripts like that. That's the thing. It's like, there are these weird moments where it's like, this is good. And then there's moments where it's like, this is garbage. What? Yeah. Complete garbage. And there's no tone throughout the entire film. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's kind of camp and funny at times, but then it's kind of, no man, this is serious. And then, all right, the ending mm-hmm. where Khan gets stabbed in the head with a shard of glass. After it goes all Neo Matrix. Yeah, and all the glass in the Hall of Mirrors explode. Only for then for him to be in an asylum where he's been essentially lobotomized. Looks to, yeah. Uh, to not have, and no longer has his power because part of his frontal lobe's been removed. Damn, that's dark. It almost feels like he'd be better just killing him. Yeah, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought he was just dead, and now you're telling me he's, you know, locked up in an institution somewhere in a straitjacket being treated like he's a maniac. He is the descendant of Genghis Khan. He he did have psychic powers. It, yeah, it's like, wow, this, this was like a not that dark film with quite a dark conclusion suddenly what, I mean, what the hell is that on the strength of the people involved the score the budget i can imagine they expected a sequel i would say yes which uh yeah it didn't it, materialize you know what it's, it's optimistic but i guess you have to look at it as 94 we're looking at what there's going to be a third batman film the year later and obviously the crow came out was the crow 94 as well obviously that got two three sequels a tv show all kinds of crap and i i get i mean to be fair the first crow is is much better than this yeah and you, you know why that is because um they they know what the tone is and <laughs> that they had a script and a plot that kind of made sense and it's ridiculous that I that we can say that the plot of the crow makes more sense when a man is dead for an entire year and then comes back and no one's moved into his apartment. <laughs> Property prices be tough, man. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? It's weird. It's a weird one. So while I was watching this film, uh, Catherine came in and what she wanted to know when she was seeing uh, the treatment of uh, Margot Robbie Lane Mm. was, does this film pass pass the Bechdel test? Now, my understanding of the Bechdel test is that the film has a scene where two women are talking and the subject is not about a man. See, for that to happen, Will, there would have to be a second woman. Exactly that. It fails on the basic premise that there is 
a single female character, not only like in a speaking part, but at other, all, other than the women who are listed as concubine in the uh, opening scene, in the credits in. list, I don't think there are any other women in it. It's it's a wild like realization when you think this. Yeah, and again, it does put us with a similar thing where, uh, God, I can't believe this is the example I'm about to give, but Batman, obviously, five years earlier, basically only has the one woman in Mm -hmm. Vicky Vale, and Batman Returns is largely, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer-centric. There isn't really anyone else. But then the Phantom at least has two women. It does, and a dog, and a horse. So it's it's covering Um, all of the gender bases. (laughs) <laughs> as we know them to be but i i do find it quite strange that yeah margot is the only like speaking female role in the entire film and when you look at the cast list it is almost entirely guys just yeah it's a real sausage fest it's yeah it's not great in that sense it's far from it no that is a i think that's a real failing uh and it, it, it is a shame because I feel like, as we've mentioned, it is a loaded cast. There is no hesitation to get more people involved. And I feel like it would have benefited from more people and more, yeah. definitely more female representation would have done this some good. I don't think it would have fixed anything. Oh, far but, from it. Um, But it might have helped i don't know (laughs) it's impossible to say i think it's hard to say what the shadow needed to improve as a film yeah i mean just i I just think the plot is so is so rubbish it's so underexplained that i think even just fixing that bit if they'd come with a much more concise plot there's a lot of the bits in it like some of the crappy cgi and stuff i can forgive it was the 90s, you know, we have to for, forgive. Yeah, for being a 1994 film with uh, a middle budget. So, but it just, none of it really makes a great deal of sense. Or, like, The Shadow is a reformed character, but we don't know why, and we don't know, like, what struggles he's gone through to get there, or there's no reason to, like, there's a bit where he has the bad dream and then says, like, you'll never know what it's like to never be able to forgive yourselves for some things you've done. You know, well... I don't, yeah. I don't know how you've got here from... Yeah, we see he acknowledges that he's had this dark past and he's lived multiple past lives and there's that scene where Margot's like, you know, I'm not afraid of you and he's like, yeah, but I am. And I just... <laughs> there's this whole dark past to the shadow that we're not really told anything about other than that it is there. Maybe that was going to be sequel fair. An interesting thing I dug up, also IMDb, so it could be untrue, is apparently Sam Raimi tried to get the rights to make a Shadow film and was denied those rights. And When did... Is it called Darkman? Yes, right. When did that come out? Because that might be a direct response to not getting the rights for the Shadow. <laughs> uh, let's find out when Darkman was. Let's, let's, let's Google some stuff. Ooh, 1990 was Darkman, apparently. So, no, I mean, no, that could make sense. If he tried to get the rights to... Yeah, it would have been. The shadow was denied. Then he made Darkman angrily. (laughs) 
<laughs> and somebody else got the shadow rights. Uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about him like a reformed character, but he does use his like mind reading powers for personal gain almost immediately. When he first sees Margot, he orders her exactly what she's thinking about ordering. Yeah, and yeah, he does obviously manipulate the police chief commissioner to forget all about the shadow. and Which has brought me on to another point I'd completely forgotten about. Every time he saves a life, he like brings them into his employ as an agent of the shadow. Oh god, yeah, yeah, he hooks them up with a massive ruby magical signet ring type. A bloody huge signet ring, and you think... How has nobody noticed that? Yeah, and it's like it's it's anyone, isn't it? It's it's from taxi drivers through to scientists, police, the the whole works. But if you turn up one day with a bloody great red signet ring, I'm going to say, "What's that bloody great red signet ring?" And nobody yeah. ever questions it because we have a scene where um, Doctor Roy Tam, who gets saved in the first scene well first scene in new york he sat with his wife when uh all lamont cranston comes a knocking mm-hmm. and i'm just gonna ask the question will if you if you came home one day with a giant ruby signet ring would Catherine question her i think she would understand that i've been corralled into the employ of a street vigilante <laughs> i think she'd just take that as red yeah, okay, fair. And um, It's either the Shadow or it's the Phantom. One of them's given me a ring. Everyone's got gimmick rings these days. And <laughs> yeah. Does this also suggest, because you don't know how many lives you're going to save if you're out being a vigilante, of course. Mm-hmm. So does he just have a pocket full of signet rings? Like dog treats, just... Yeah, you know, he's had... Always have some in your pocket, just in case. It's, it's, is that something you do? <laughs> I... Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's got that implication that he must just be loaded up with rings. Also, having to take a taxi everywhere because you've dragged a poor taxi driver into your employment. And there's a scene, one scene, that reminds you that he's still like a working cabbie. Yes, he gets called upon while he's got like a rich couple in the backseat and he's driving like a lunatic stunt (laughs) driver. Just tells him to get out. And then then you think, well... I mean, I hope the Shadow's paying him for his time. Yeah, that's true. It's like, is that it? He saves your life and you have to give him rides forever? Because <laughs> uh, that seems like a pretty raw deal to me. I don't know. That seems like it pretty sucks, yeah. Alongside Although that, those... is, that is also the deal we have, so... Well, that's, yeah. You did save my life that one time. There was, uh, alongside those same lines, though, with his, like, empire of helpers, there's a bit where uh, somebody post something through an address's door box, a letterbox. Oh, God, yeah. And that then goes on a... Like hydraulic tube A mile-long sort of pipe system. Now, what happens if it gets stuck? Because it goes out of buildings, it goes, like, across streets. You just got to wait for the next one to come along. And <laughs> push it through. <laughs> I don't know. And what makes it worse is the man who ultimately receives that message then FaceTimes the Phantom. No, he doesn't. He FaceTimes the Shadow because the Phantom's in a different film. Well, he tries to FaceTime the Phantom. He's busy, (laughs) so gets hold of the Shadow. But, 
yeah, he, he just gets him up on this little viewing portal and it's like, whoa, 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 you've got like video call technology. Why did anyone need to send you a note? <laughs> what is that, man? <laughs> so the the technology is inconsistent, to say the least. Yeah, far from it. Which I think is a pretty good summation of the shadow inconsistent. <laughs> say the least. There's, there's a lot to like, but it's well hidden. Yeah. Yeah. Tim- <laughs> I think that's it. I think there's a great cast. Uh, I mean, I say great, uh, despite that being 98% men. Um, yeah. I think there are the occasional kind of little VFX things I, I, I enjoyed. Yeah, the, there's definitely things I enjoyed um, in the effects. In the, I love how close to being Batman the score is. I yeah, and there's there's bits of the aesthetic. Like I said, I think there's no two ways about it. Alec Baldwin, when he's all you know ready to fight at the end, he is one sexy, sexy man. Right, uh, it's a good time for Alec. Uh, it might be the best time for Alec. I'm not sure he ever looks this good again. No. Maybe it's just by contrast to his sort of hideous secret face. Yes, maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's like if if he's gonna, it's either if he's gonna look hideous sometimes, let's make him super cool and sexy the other times, or mm. it's damn, he's real cool and sexy. If he's gonna be a vigilante, we should ugly him up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, though, I think I agree with the, uh, the the IMDb and Metacritic of about like half. It's it's a five out of ten. Halfway to great. Yeah. It's not it's, without merit, but it's pretty it's pretty crud. I yes, I think there are simple things that we have suggested in this podcast which would make huge improvements. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a shame. I held Curry. More oh god, yeah, just a hundred percent Tim Curry. I think that's <laughs> what the world like most th- things, including Tim Curry, it would ultimately benefit from less of everything else and more of Tim Curry. <laughs> I I don't think it's beyond the realms to believe that we will get a shadow reboot at some point in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, I could see that. And I would still get Alec Baldwin in for it if he's available. <laughs> <laughs> would you do it like the, uh, like the Zorro films where you start off with Baldwin as like the old shadow? Oh, and he teaches someone else to be like the young hip shadow who, you know, who's who's like today's version of Antonio Banderas. Wait, are we, are we recasting Zorro now? Is that what this is? Yeah, but as the shadow. <laughs> oh God, that's that's such a complicated question. Um, <laughs> I'm really not sure who modern day Antonio Banderas is. Who's like Spanish and awesome? I can't. Uh, there's definitely some out there, but uh, Michael Pena. You know what? Maybe I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not against the idea. Um... He's in. Uh, he's in a serious film on Netflix. I've not watched yet. And when I was watching the trailer, I thought that looks just like Michael Pena. In fact, I know who it is. He might not actually be Spanish, which you know is probably neither here nor there. But you know, uh, Keon Alexander, who plays Marco and Aris in The Expanse. Oh yeah. He he might be New Zorro for me. <laughs> I could be into that for sure. Um I I think there's potential there. I don't know if I don't know how he feels about the idea of being cast against his will as 
um, as New Zorro slash Shadow. I, but I, I can kind of see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I reckon you put him in a suit and why the hell not? That is one thing as well. Like, I think the Shadow's general look is pretty timeless. Yeah. And it's, it's that cliche kind of pulp look but it is a look that i do think is cool yeah the long trench coat the sort of the wide brim hat and then just that dash of red over his mouth i i will acknowledge now and it's important that this is like noted there was a point not even 10 years ago where i decided i was going to try and pull off the pulp look and i had like a period of wearing suits for work and like a floor length leather trench coat and even every now and again, the hat as well. And I'll tell you, I looked like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 w- I went with it and don't get me wrong. It's the hat. The hat's the problem. When you're just a guy in a suit with a trench coat, you're just trying to stay dry. When you're wearing a hat, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That might be the case. Um, but just something to think about. It's <laughs> <laughs> something for future endeavors. <laughs> Should, should you ever decide that maybe Pulp Detective is the look you're going to go for for a while? Yeah, and it might be. It might. I mean, I think you've got it in you, you know. <laughs> and so all in all, mixed feelings about The Shadow, but some good yeah. feelings, some bad feelings. Absolutely. It sits very similarly to The Phantom, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I've rewatched it. I don't know if I'm going to run back for another rewatch. Maybe... Yeah. Maybe 20 years between watching The Shadow is the agreed upon time. I think so. Yeah, 20 year intervals. Um, so I think that might be our conclusion. What You got anything else you want to add? Or? I think I've hit all the nails I wanted to hit. Cast great. Story bad. Yes, I, I very much agree with those sentiments. Um, <laughs> so... I'd like to say this this is the point where I think we've proven that comics are bigger than capes, but I don't know if that's what we've proven this week, Will. And... <laughs> comics are still bigger than capes, despite our lack of acknowledging us. And, um, you know, I've been Zach, and I will continue to be, and I'm sure you'll continue to be Will, and we'll continue to be bigger, bigger than, than capes. Than capes.